0: Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of Vacation Rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guest's big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built Vacation Rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie.
1: Welcome to Alex and Annie, the Real Women of Vacation Rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we're joined today with a very, very, very special guest today, Andrew Kitchell, who is the CEO and founder of Wheelhouse. Andrew, welcome to the show.
2: Can't wait to be here. Excited to say say hello to you all this morning and hang
1: out. Absolutely, and so I said very many times because, and, and all of our guests are special, <laughs> of course. But we have a very big announcement today that uh, we have we put a lot of thought into this, and you know, Annie and I have been doing the podcast now for. Um, about 10 months, and we've put a lot of thought into how we would potentially bring sponsors of the show on and knowing that we really want to stand behind any companies that would want to put their name and their brand on our show. And we've come to that point and we have found the perfect company to partner with, and that is Wheelhouse. So we are so excited and grateful to be working with you and to have you on the show today so we can hear more of your story and tell our listeners all the amazing things. About what Wheelhouse does.
2: Well, and likewise, we are honored to sponsor your show. We think what you're doing is amazing. You all are incredible advocates and voices for our space, and we recognize that. So, extremely excited about this partnership.
0: Well, thank you. We, we as Alex said, we were pretty methodical about who we wanted to talk to, and and one of the things that we've always um, liked about you and your team is the authenticity. And if you've listened to any of the podcasts, that was my chosen word for this year was Mm -hmm. just to be authentic and and the authenticity. So we're very drawn to people and to organizations that are like that from top to bottom. And so I I think kudos go to you as as a leader um, for setting up an authentic group, but we're just thrilled beyond the moon to have a wheelhouse be our brand sponsor so welcome and i think we want to get started and probably a lot of people know andrew but maybe they don't so (laughs) just give us a a brief synopsis of your background and how you kind of where you are now and what what wheelhouse is about
2: great um so yes i'm andrew i'm the ceo and founder of wheelhouse um probably most relevant for this audience i've been in and around the short-term rental space for almost nine years it's been a very interesting nine years. Uh, okay. first started with um, a team that was called Beyond Stays at the time. It was an early operating company trying to say, hey, you could put a brand on urban kind of apartments and homes and and really kind of create an elevated form of Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pivoted that company. I was, I was brought in to be the CEO there, and we pivoted that company to something called people are probably much more familiar with, which is called Beyond Pricing. Um, Ran that for a year before taking uh, some of the data science team and ultimately starting two companies at the same time, a little bit of a crazy move. One was (laughs) Wheelhouse and the other team was a team, uh, kind of a a, a hospitality brand we built on top of uh, a software stack that was called Lyric. So the short and sweet, we'll talk probably about a few dimensions of these different businesses today, but between Beyond, Lyric, other operating codes and Wheelhouse I've always said I feel very fortunate to have seen the short-term rental space from so many different angles, yeah, uh, and that's, hopefully, that's, we share that's some.
1: I've just yeah. gotten to know you and wheelhouse really in the last year. And actually we are now just a week out from Darm, the data and revenue management conference, which that is where you won a major award last year. And I think that's yeah. kind of when all of a sudden everybody was like, Whoa, <laughs> you had yeah. you, been around, but then all of a sudden, you know, the the Cape was lifted and everybody was talking about wheelhouse. So uh, exciting to be there next, next week with you guys.
2: Yeah. We're aiming for that repeat. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. I now,
1: Are you entering in that contest again?
2: Yes, awesome. definitely. De- cool. definitely. And yes, that, that that presentation last year I started two days before and this one I've started two months before because yeah. uh, wow. <laughs> I, I underestimated how amazing Darm was. I'm so excited to be there next week with y'all too. But it is uh it it was my favorite conference last year, and I'm expecting the same this year.
1: Yeah, the energy is just so high. And obviously Amy Hino does an amazing job at her events. This is a VRM Mintel event. So we're really looking forward to being there and supporting you in your sessions. And um, but I, I do want to dive in a little bit. I mean, you've you've been in revenue management for for several several years, but you know, the industry has changed, not just vacation rentals, but just the understanding and the technology behind revenue management so much. And just curious about you know what from your Early days, starting with Beyond, to where you are now, you know what, what's the biggest difference that you've mm-hmm.
2: seen? Oh, that is awesome! Um, well, the biggest difference in revenue management at holistically uh, when we started at Beyond, and even early days at Wheelhouse as well. The, the initial question from peop- people with experience in the industry, so HomeAway, Airbnb, and others, Carl Shepard, for example, we spoke to them. The question was. How can you, does revenue management even matter for individual assets?
1: Mm, interesting. <laughs> How can you
2: price a unique property? Hotels, it made a little more sense. You have, yeah. whole, you say a hotel's got a hundred rooms, you can watch a booking pattern on them. Yeah. And the question was like, could you figure out a formula or an approach that would work for pricing these unique assets? And um, one of the early things we figured out was that the average person before, before kind of renting a place was looking at 30 homes. Hmm. And the premise was like, well, if you look at 30 properties, you're probably becoming a pretty good arbiter of what's a fair price at a property. So you know what a pool, porch, patio, Wi-Fi, all those things are worth in a market. So you could translate booking patterns from you know, people who are becoming informed shoppers into an understanding of how to price a property. So we it, the space eight years ago was really a, does this work? Um... The ironic part about it, I would say eight plus years later, is our space is starting to impact how hotels are pricing. And not only does it work, and you can apply revenue management to kind of a bunch of different statistical approaches to figuring out how to price a home based on booking patterns. um, The challenges around pricing short-term rentals, uh, which are harder than pricing a hotel, are now informing kind of the strategies on the hotel side. So I would say that short-term rental pricing in my mind has gone from a is this even possible to holy smokes uh the software in our category is probably the best at looking at future booking patterns and translating them into how we should price unique properties yeah it's a big shift
0: <laughs> we were talking to another actually another podcaster in the hospitality space um her name is Susan Berry, and she has a podcast that's on the hotel side of mm-hmm. things and we were talking to her recently and She was saying how frustrated she is that the hoteliers still are like, "Oh, vacation rentals—they don't—they don't don't impact us. They don't—they're not like us." And and my comment was, "Living under a rock."
1: Yeah, well, that
0: that and you know, you just look at any of the big brands—they're all dipping their—they're not even dipping their toe in the space. I mean, they dove headfirst into it, and most Mm -hmm. of them had timeshares, which timeshares are vacation rentals at their core. And so it is interesting, but it's also what I love about it is that the vacation rentals has now leapt ahead of the hotels in terms of technology and advancement and adoption. You know, it used to be five, six years ago, vacation rentals were like, yeah, I don't know about technology. It scares me. I really like the book. I write everything in. I I like to touch it with my pen. And, you know, the technology was very scary, but it was also because of, the nature of vacation rentals, is so many layers of operation. There just was nothing that was kind of working together. And so it it bred, a, um, I think, a, a sense and a need and, and a, it fostered more collaborative relationships between the technology providers where hotel space was very siloed. is like you, you operate a PMS, you operate your revenue management system, you operate your channel manager. And a lot of those just were and they were just opposed to each other and how they were operating. So I think again, and to what wheelhouse is doing. And I think what you've done to this time, this point is that you understand the need for everybody to collaborate and work together. So it's something that hotels can learn from our space for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, 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 I totally agree. Annie. And I, I always say that the, um the narrative about short-term rentals, vacation rentals has been wrong for a long time. Yeah. And yes, we can Agreed. say that there yeah. are some people who are scared of technology and wanted to use our notepad. That's, that's true.
0: Yeah, that's still true. But, yeah.
2: yeah, it's true. But yep. but the short-term rental vacation rental space is incredibly diverse. Yeah. And at the opposite end of the spectrum, you have people who said, hey, I want to be an early user of digital access mm-hmm. because I'm not anywhere near my home to let you in. Yeah. And I need to automate guest communications because I have another job and I do this on the side. Or... um a variety of technology decisions that that small individual decision makers made yeah. and yeah. i've tried to sell technology into hotels not as deeply as i've tried to sell technology into short term rentals but the decision making is a lot harder you have to go through committees and decision making yeah. and frankly even security protocols that on the short term rental side you have early people saying you know you, you can find 10 users of almost any product.
1: Yeah, out absolutely. There. Yeah. Yeah. And that's
2: what entrepreneurs need. They need the first 10 people who will pay them for their product and validate whether there's a real need right. here. And this is um, yeah. hopefully evangelist. So really the barrier great. to entry to creating technology is lower in short term mm-hmm. rentals, which is why we'll continue to see faster and better innovation. Short-term rentals.
1: Yeah. 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 I I remember my early days at Condo World. Our this was how we did revenue management. Basically, it was our property manager would keep herself locked up in her office for about (laughs) a week around Thanksgiving. And she would set the rates and then she would give me the spreadsheet and I would have to update them on our site, (laughs) literally going through the HTML and updating. And then when we would revenue manage, when we would figure we could probably make more for a certain week, I'd have to go back and redo them all. And that's the extent of how a lot of managers were, you know know 10 15 years ago so to see where we are now and it's just it's just light lightning years ahead but at the same time in, in markets like we are in myrtle beach area you can tell that the companies that got on board with revenue management are the ones that are still around and the true mom and pops that didn't they're not around anymore i mean they've been sold and that's not just here that's anywhere that's to in other markets that they're selling to vacasa and some of other companies because they just they can't keep up with the technology and just because you're uh in hospitality does not mean that you're a technologist. And I think right. a lot of these companies try to keep running with the same staff that they had and they would just get a website and they'd just get some like rudimentary marketing things that they thought would keep them going. But it's, we've just been like a rocket ship in terms of innovation that it, it's just to it push them off the cliff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a few thoughts about that, but can I share them quickly too? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, um, I, I I will say that, uh. At, at Darm, we're going to be sharing uh, what what will initially look like a little bit of a return to an older way of doing revenue management.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Right? The theme please don't us. tell me I have to go back and
0: put rates no. in on the website. <laughs> You're going no, to have to
1: manually put rates well, in, Alex. The yeah, sponsorship? Not, not that. Not that.
2: <laughs> but the, the theme for us, so last year our theme at, at Darm was transparency. Right, yes, we really I, believed it was time for everyone to publish their research and to show how the models worked and, and to really detail what data-driven revenue management was doing for customers because it, it is intimidating to say, "Hey, I'm going to hand over pricing to a machine." It just, right, yes, right? Yeah, and yeah. and plenty of people um, don't necessarily agree that that it, that it is possible for a machine to understand, you know, an, a unique business. So the quote-unquote step back. We're actually the theme for this year is. Putting people in control,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's going to look a little bit more like a mix of rule-based pricing plus data-driven pricing, when and where you want it. It's kind of a seem, kind of a more seamless blend than yeah. than we think has been created. And why we're excited about that is because um, I do think technology can be really valuable for businesses. But I think our, our our space is probably better at building technology than we were than we were strong at building designs that made our products really easy to use yeah uh, i don't think our, i don't think revenue management is an intuitive thing i think it's really really hard yeah. so i think the challenge for our space from a technology perspective we kind of needed to solve the hard technology problems first and now i think there's going to be whether it's digital access revenue management or other things i think there's got to be kind of a uh, kind of a time where we spend more time designing more compassionate interfaces so people can really easily use them however they want Right, um, And that's kind of an important next stage of technology, which is the design of it. Yeah, um,
1: And everybody's objectives are different. I think that's probably one of the more complicated parts of your yeah. business is that just because we run our business one way, what's important to us might not, it might not be important to another rental company. So just maximizing occupancy or just maximizing rate. I mean, there's so many different strategies that with hotels, I feel like it's a little bit more baseline, but with how we all operate and different markets and everything, it's a, it's a complicated ball of wax.
2: (laughs) It is. Yeah, it is. And that knife edge though, makes it so the software developed is the best. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that, I think that the fascinating thing about it is no two markets operate the same, but then even within a market, you can have two uh, operators that completely have different, Ways of going out business, but then you dig deeper, and it could be something where a building is different because there's an HOA mandate and how. Again, right. you know your length of stay, your restrictions, your check-in, check-out dates. I mean, some of the things that you would tell people through a revenue management tool to flex on, they don't have that flexibility. So there's mm-hmm. some hard and fast rules that have to be available for them to set that can't be, you know, I guess disarmed, if you will. Um, and I think that that's what what makes the 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 space so fascinating is because. You know, people from the hotel side always always joked about um, in Panama City Beach as an example. People would come in and say, "Well, this is how you need to do it." And I said, "Well, the one thing about Southerners is they don't like people coming in from the big city mm-hmm. to tell them how to do stuff. You know, they don't take kindly to strangers telling <laughs> yeah. them how to do their business." Yeah. Um, but but to that point, it's like people will are open to to listening if you can give them you know, a reason why they should be doing it. But it's just this, everybody coming in and saying, well, I'm from the big city and this is how it works. And we make all this revenue and not understanding that there's all of these pieces of the equation that they're never, they've never seen, they've never heard of, they don't understand it. And for a vacation rental operator, it's a very complex business. And hoteliers like to oversimplify what vacation rentals are. They're like, well, people come and they vacation and it's super simple, but not comprehending that a whole, you know, a condo like Alex manages hundred building or 100 units in a building that's a hundred general managers that you're dealing right with. you right. know a hundred yeah. marketing perspectives, a hundred different ways to price a hundred different people with different you know thoughts about how you should price. and so it's really a very complex business and so to your point like you know having things that are constantly evolving and moving and, and, and being very complex, is Mm -hmm. just something that technologists that you wrestle with every day. I can't even imagine what your tech team goes through every week. Yeah.
2: Well, and and you know who is guilty of that exact mindset that you just detailed for eight and a half years? (laughs) Me. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly, you know, we, we, um, we we pushed for transparency last year because we think it's an important thing and we think yeah. eventually it'll be like how apple said that your privacy and your data are really important but we think transparency yeah. is the same thing for our space
1: yeah
2: almost a foundational piece of it and we're lucky to have won the award last year but the truth is because of that conference we had a lot of folks come and teach us what you actually wanted us to build
0: yeah so yeah, the last exactly. year has
2: been has been the year where i think we finally heard the message from yeah a bunch of the um the vacation rental communities and vacation rental operators and I, and I it has forced us to build a way better product and I I yeah. it's in some ways embarrassing to say it took us so long to to hear truly what was needed and I I obviously we'll still have tons of work to do after this new launch but um I do think we're finally getting it yeah. I think we're finally getting it and yeah. uh there's there's a lot too that we could explore but i i think uh we did have the a little bit of the mentality of okay we're going to build this thing and it's great so people are going to love it
0: yeah
2: it's like well if it doesn't work for your business yeah it doesn't matter how great we think it is right right <laughs> um right, yeah. so so i i feel lucky to have met so many good people coming out of darm that taught us we needed to build a different thing yeah um, we've worked really hard to, to try to build it
1: I think your your journey has been really important in this process too. And I think that's one thing that we would like to hear a little bit more about because one, one part of when we started this podcast, something that was very important to us was that we don't just want to tell the good stories of the highs. We want to tell the stories of the lows. And I think there's a lot of value in being able to share some of the things that you've learned um, that's gotten you to the point that you're at now. You, you can't connect the dots until you're farther enough ahead to be able to look back. Yeah. <laughs> so lo- looking back on that, I know you've had a, a heck of a journey um, with Lyric and, and some of the things that happened that led to where Wheelhouse is now. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that?
2: Sure. I think you're probably so um probably well, do you want me to focus on lyric or beyond as well? Or I I can tell probably.
1: however you want to best tell it. How yeah. about that?
2: Sure. <laughs> Your story. Sure. Yeah. So I, I will say, uh I will say generally that uh thematically there's a narrative that uh entrepreneurship, at least in California, entrepreneurship yeah. is about leaving some great college early and you're a genius and you go sit in a room with a computer and you build an amazing technology and you make a billion dollars. That is not my journey. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think that's a lot of entrepreneurs journey. I think the other side of it is most entrepreneurship is about kind of um, just um, really loving something enough that you that you enjoy working on it every every day and every moment of it. And yeah. when you find quote unquote failure, you don't see it as failure because you look at all the other things you learn along the way as as part of kind of building the foundation for future success. So Wheelhouse is probably, is definitively my third company in the short-term rental space. Uh, Did work at Beyond, was a CEO there. And uh, as we were raising capital, kind of found out that it it just wasn't going to be the right team to build with for me. And there's a ton more of that story that we can explore, but ended up again, leaving that and wondering if I was You know, this is the first time I started to wonder, well, should I, should I stay in the short-term rental space? I've had this kind of interesting thing happen and, uh, ended up candidly getting kicked out by Ian and Dave of the company. Um, and at the time I had a few teammates at beyond that I really liked. I had uh, other people who were going to join beyond at the end of financing. And that group came to me and said, would you restart a company with us? Um, if we were to come join you. And I said, yeah, let, let's, let's do yeah. it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't a trivial decision. It was like really yeah. scary decision yeah. though. Um, And so that group we built uh, both wheelhouse and lyric and we had uh, it was, you know, we built and built and built. And eventually we raised hundreds of millions of dollars around lyric and we built um, uh, lyric was an operating company. We designed properties. We'd go into apartment buildings or multifamily buildings in major U S cities and we ended up um building 25, we launched essentially 25 hotels wow. in three years, which is insanity. And I realized how insane it was, probably when we crossed about the 20 mark. Yeah. Um, and we but we actually uh ended up, I mean, we 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 were lucky to hire a great team and we created what became the number one rated hotel first in New York City and then in the US. Uh and it was a hotel, but really a short-term rental hotel, right? Competing with Saunder. Um And we, uh, despite, you know, working with great investors, having a great brand, uh, having incredible guest loyalty, when COVID hit in March of 2020, we were, well, February is really when it actually started to get bad, but March is when occupancy dropped to 8%. We lost everything. And we were not in a cash position to survive what was looking like probably the largest, longest downturn in the history of hospitality. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the math of a startup, so uh, when when um, Katrina hit New Orleans, New Orleans has never recovered to pre yeah. mm-hmm. to pre New Orleans levels. And we said, well, is it five years before hospitality recovers? Right. Yeah. Uh, we need yeah. to. The only way to survive, even though we had we're in a decent cash position but yeah. burning a lot of cash, was to cut everything. Wow. And we had really? this nugget of this uh, product wheelhouse, which was out the door live to customers, but we had never gone and sold. And we had never kind of taken all the additional pieces we had built at Lyric on top of wheelhouse and rolled them in. And we said, the safest path forward is going to be kind of begging a team to stay with us through an incredibly tough time and trying to turn wheelhouse from a B2C product into something suited for large operators and large Mm -hmm. businesses. Um, And so I'm happy to explore any avenue of uh, the losses we've had, but I would say um beyond a Knuckle as planned, lyrics certainly in a knuckle as planned. And eight and a half years later, I feel like I feel extremely fortunate to have learned all those lessons. Yeah. Yeah. And have wheelhouse in a position now where um we we feel like we get to build from a very informed place.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. So a lot of good learnings along the way. A lot yeah. of
2: good learnings. And yeah. like dig in all because I I love good controversy. So like, <laughs> if, you, if you want to dig yeah. in and ask any tough questions, um, whatever your audience is going to value, I I uh, I believe that a entrepreneurship can set you free. So I really believe in kind of pushing entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, I also believe that it is way harder than it is, uh, often told. Um, so I just like to remind folks that like when those barriers happen,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: that is your opportunity to first ask yourself, do you really love it? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't go find something else, right, right, right. Apply, yeah. Like you will only build a great business if you're passionate about it. So Find something you're passionate about, and then if you're passionate about it, what other people see as failure, see as just reframe as your learnings and go. Right. Um, but there's a lot of fun kind of lessons yeah. uh, learned.
0: So if you looked back at Beyond and then Lyric, and and now where you are now, what would you say are like the two? I don't even say the regrets, but what are the two biggest? Mm. Learnings that you took maybe from each piece of that journey. Or one from
1: each at least. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Give us what
2: you can. (laughs) Beyond was uh trust your gut. And I think I I have inherently love people. I love meeting new people. I love hearing people's stories. And I genuinely believe that uh people are uh tend towards being great folks. And I I think I had some early warning signals that I uh, thought I could smooth over. And now I'm like, you've got to love the people you work with and right. you got to deeply trust them. So my regret is not acting when I could have to, to do something different there. But honestly, I think I probably needed to learn that lesson. Sure. Yeah. Um, the regret from lyric was, I would say, uh, it's a really good reminder that you should build something that you know <laughs> really well. And with lyric, since it was kind of an amalgamation of both wheelhouse and then this operating and brand company that we built above it, well, I had never built a luxury hospitality brand, and I had never built an operating co. And I didn't realize some of the risks associated with scaling a business quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, again, I probably, I probably didn't listen to my gut enough. But I remember when we were expanding really quickly, and we had investors giving us a lot of cash and saying, "Hey, just go build." That sounded Pretty exciting,
1: right? Yeah, yeah.
2: It sounds like the way to build a business. Yeah, I do not think it is how you build a business. We are building Wheelhouse extremely patiently, right? We have no. fifteen full time employees now, and we're uh, really trying to. We hire very patiently, and like, um, I think that my regrets are, uh, well, <laughs> my lessons are probably really love what you work with, find the best people you can possibly work with and, and then go build great things with them. Cause that's who you want to fight with through the hard times. Yeah. And that's obvious, but I, you know, lesson I need to learn, maybe a regret and a lyric. I think it's um, it was, I'm much more comfortable now building something I know where I'm not going to say that I'm an expert at revenue management or even short-term rentals, but I have spent a ton of time in them. And I do think about it all the time. And I feel like I'm for lack of a better term, operating from my wheelhouse, <laughs> I can go to a conference. We say and that share. all the time. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's tough, right? Um, yeah. It, it feels great to operate from a place where you feel like you have something to share, as opposed to. I remember staying at the stage uh, at real estate conferences where we were invited to speak, and I, oh, yeah. I was thinking, "I am a fraud. These people know so much more about real estate than I do." Yeah. Uh, and I was just too far behind the learning curve. Yeah. And that's okay if you're in a pure technology space, that's fine because everyone's behind the curve. Yeah, like yeah. If, you're pushing, if you're pushing the edge, the frontier with technology, you can be naive. If you're pushing into a space of incredibly well-run companies, which the hotel companies are, yeah. and I didn't understand until I under, until I got to know them and hear about how detailed they were in their operations, I uh, I think I believe the Silicon Valley hubris that um, you can just build technology and it will solve everything and you're smarter than them. Yeah. So my regrets are naivety on all fronts.
1: And we see that in a lot of companies still today that are in the vacation rental industry and in others that they've gotten incredible amounts of funding and they you know, they're throwing a lot of money at solving a problem. But when you actually look at how they're trying to solve it, if if you don't have operators and you don't have that insight into what is really needed, it's still not connecting the dots. And I think that was really good to hear. You mentioned a little bit ago that since Darm of last year, you know, that kind of that was the unveiling of wheelhouse. And now you've had so much more input from so many different people within the industry that now you really feel like, I mean, you won last year, but now you feel like this year you've come so far because you've been able to really get everybody behind you to build that. And that's, that's not what's happening. And a lot of the technology companies that are out there um, they're, they have on awards like you guys, they they just yeah. haven't gotten to that point and they might have, some super users and people that love their product, but the people that love their product only know as much as what their experience is too. And I mean, you're working with some pretty strong operators within our space that these aren't just brand new startup type companies. I mean, these are people who know property management, they know revenue management and marketing. So you've got uh, definitely an all-star lineup behind you at this point.
2: Yeah. And we're still, um, Thank you. Very kind of you to say, I think uh, I view last year as uh, all we did was unveil the obvious that mm-hmm. you should publish your research. If you're going to, if you're going to automate someone's pricing, you should tell them exactly what you're doing and you should be an auditable pricing agent. That is obvious this year. I agree. I still think we're doing the, what you all knew, what great operators have known for a long time, which is obvious, which is put me in control. Yeah, and exactly. And a bunch of different ways yeah. yeah. best to do that. Yeah. So next year, I, I feel like we're finally... Hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have delivered what uh, a lot of folks have asked us for for a long time, and we we didn't quite hear. And next year is when I'm actually excited about a different level of innovation,
1: but that'll yeah. come. Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: but we're we're still I I still think we're catching up to all the great things that people have been telling us for a long time that we're finally understanding. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I think. I, I've got a, oh, go oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I just I have one other question on something that you touched on earlier. On if the pandemic hadn't hit, where mm. do you think Lyric would have been now? Like, would it have, would you be up to a hundred hotels now? <laughs> yeah. I you or, know, or or would the rubber have met the road eventually, so, anyways, I guess. Yeah. So I um
2: look, I'm an optimist. I was literally well, I called my dad at the end of February and I said, Dad, COVID is real. <laughs> but we had just we had just hit our best revenue numbers ever in February, and our brand was so strong. We we're seeing all these crazy signals. I called him, I said, COVID is going to decimate the industry, but Lyric is going to survive and we're going to buy up the entire industry on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) And on March 1st, one day later, a huge deal that we were going to sign with a major, major, the major OTA. um, And we already had Airbnb as an investor. We were going to sign a deal with another major OTA that would have uh, reduced their lease liability and given us a new demand funnel. That deal fell apart on March 1st. And that team said, we'll see you on the other side Mm -hmm. of COVID. And I thought- we're not going to be on the other side of COVID. Yeah. Um, so by March first, end of the day, March first, uh, I called some board members. And I said, "I think we're dead. If this team is pulling uh, the pulling the plug on this deal, uh, and they're in the best cash position possible, sure. and we're
1: yeah, if they're nervous, uh, then we should all be nervous, kind yeah. of yeah,
2: yeah. But like, yeah. To, but to be real too, I mean, we lyric had not had it figured out before. We we had, had we had already had to do some cutbacks. We were spending in some of the wrong places." I had been overly enthusiastic about certain aspects of the business that were not driving value, uh, such as investing in experience design, uh, which is is amazing, kind of the guest experience while they stay with us. But probably yeah. a thing we should have done in three more years, as opposed to at the time. <laughs> so I think I was. Um, I think we had learned what we needed to learn to run the business the right way, and I do regret that we didn't get that opportunity because. Uh, we had gone to our investors and said, Hey, this lease model is absolutely the wrong way to grow. We, I know we told you we'd be at X number of listings, but we need to focus just on like running the business better. Um, I do think we're still in a cash position, especially if that deal had gone through where we, we probably do make it and probably do survive, but uh, as a trade-off, I'm so much happier building a technology company. Yeah. Yeah. It is like my sweet spot. And like, I, um, so therefore I kind of see Lyric as this beautiful, amazing brand. We got to build with a, with a great team. It was terrible to say goodbye to people on a personal level. I feel like I'm much more in my uh, sweet spot, um, Mm -hmm. now, and, uh, I don't know, Alex, it's a great question, whether we would have survived COVID because so there was so much insane turmoil during that time. Yeah. But I look at the team we had, um, I look at the product itself that we delivered, and I, I think we probably do make it. I think it's probably very, very painful. But I think we probably uh, are alive today. But I also don't think I'm speaking to you today about technology. Yeah,
1: and yeah, yeah.
0: Like-
1: yeah, yeah. Every, and everything a,
0: happens for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah, and there's a distinction between this is a conversation that we have all the time and is being discussed in the industry. Are you a technology company or are you a property management company? And the companies <laughs> that try and say both really, really, you know, struggle. <laughs> and and I don't think that you can. You've got to be at least seventy five percent one or you know one hand in one hand out because uh, yeah. trying to bridge both gaps is is a tough thing to do. And really, you know there's there's so much that has changed since covid that a lot of those models, the, I mean, it's essentially like a lease arbitrage model, right? Is that yeah, what you, it, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So a lot of those are coming back now and yeah. that that would be the next part of my question. What do you see as the future for those companies? I mean, pandemic aside, hopefully we don't have anything like that. That would be close to be an issue for them. But do you think it, even even outside of Lyric, do you think it's a sustainable business model?
2: Good question. So I think it is sustainable on a small extremely local level, but is yeah. risky. Mm-hmm. And um, the person who explained this best to me was someone out of Marriott, uh, a guy named Rick Hoffman, who's really sharp. And it turns out that Marriott and others have actually tried the lease our model mm-hmm. at a scale larger than essentially anyone's doing today. And it failed. And the reason it failed was you can maybe do it, if you know one market really, really well, like say, you know, Atlanta or Destin or something really, really well. You can know a great opportunity and you can select the best real estate and the best properties and have them perform well, better than they could. And if you if you shifted a, a property from monthly rentals down to short-term rentals, you can make much more revenue. You can right. double revenue, yep. et cetera. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard to replicate that success in multiple markets. And and the reason for that is, um, one, real estate markets are so efficient that the locals almost always are going to be better than you are. So unless you have a great person on the ground. Yeah. In that next market, yeah. it's really hard to pull off the lease arbitrage in a highly effective yeah. fashion. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if it's hard in two markets, it's really hard in 10, and it's yeah. impossible yeah. at 100. So the lease arb can work on a on a smaller scale basis, but I would recommend to entrepreneurs pursuing that model, pursue that model to demonstrate an excellent ability to drive top-line revenue so you can take on a, uh, a different type of uh, – so you can move away from the lease our long-term and move towards the management
1: model. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's great feedback.
0: Yeah. yeah it, we've talked to so many people that I think there's, there's definitely two schools, two schools of thought. And I think that um, it kind of goes to, speaks to the divide between STR and VR mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sort of that definition in that, Urban is short term rental. That's where the arbitrage falls. I, you know, Alex and mm-hmm. I are from traditional vacation rental markets. I know that I've worked for management companies where we tried a similar fashion, you know, rent guarantees basically to the owners, similar situation, right. mm-hmm. but it was a one off in buildings where you, like an owner had a penthouse and you really wanted it and you were going to guarantee them, you know, the certain amount of revenues and it never worked. And so to yeah, see people yeah. try to do it on scale, yeah. across, to your point, across multiple markets when you don't have, that boots on the ground influence to your pricing, to your management, to whatever that you know you're doing. I just don't understand why it is, but I think that because there is a different mindset in the urban markets versus vacation rental markets, we have this wall between the two sectors. And yeah. so, like, I kind of wanted to not really ask a question, but just bring that up for discussion. It's what we've talked to a lot of our guests about. Is that you know Alex and I feel very strongly about the need to educate people from the top up or top to the bottom up. So first unit yeah. in, in, that's where you need to get your education. You need to have access to it. You need to understand the industry because those ones that don't have the knowledge base are growing and they're causing problems for all of us across the country. It's not just in Atlanta or just in Panama City Beach or just Myrtle Beach or Miami. It's crossing, crossing all state lines, all city lines, all municipalities. So we need to educate. And so I think, you know, we're seeing more technology companies open up their stack to all sides of the business and, and really figure out how do we message to this STR guy that has 10 units or one, but how do we also message to this VR company that is enterprise and has 500 units and kind of yeah. getting the two to two to utilize similar technologies, adopt similar operational efficiencies. So again, there is um, not this operation in a funnel type scenario yeah. going on that's causing friction. So bring that to you. I think wheelhouse is, is speaking to those both sides. Correct.
2: Well, Yeah. I, I think uh, you, you shared so much there. <laughs> that was a long winded one of interest. No, it's, it's of interest. Right. So like, I, I think, um, I think the heart, one of the hardest part about entrepreneurs is separate, separate and hype from reality. Yeah. And uh, it is hard for investors too. And, and when we look at the kind of explosion, well, the lease our model, okay. and so many people pursuing that now, um, a lot of investors in Silicon Valley and Wall Street have yeah. backed these, have backed very aggressive expansion models, predicated on the notion that, like, hey, you know, te- technology companies historically won by buying market share as quickly as possible. When you have hospitality and operating codes. I think people applied and you know we're still seeing companies that raise hundreds of millions of dollars from investors in Silicon Valley and teams that ipo would or did a SPAC and raised a ton of money from Wall Street. That capital is still in those companies and those companies are still expanding. Um, but I, I think 2023 is probably going to be a return to rationality in the market. It turns mm-hmm. out scaling the hospitality company is really, really hard. Management deals are far superior for smaller businesses than leases because you carry a ton of risk with a lease. Yeah, right. exactly. A ton of risk,
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you were able to get away with that risk when tons of capital was available. But it wasn't only the short-term rental space happened in. Right. WeWork
1: was yeah. given permission. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: oh, gosh. Yeah. I just watched yeah. that documentary on Netflix. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. So, oh, yeah,
2: so there, there was a little bit of a, um, the model was tested. It did yeah. not work. It did not survive a pandemic in the case of the short-term rental space. It probably wouldn't survive a normal time, but you know some of the lessons that should have been learned in normal times are are washed over because the pandemic hadn't wiped a bunch of companies out.
1: Yeah, and I think so, that's 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 such a huge part of what vacation rentals yeah. is and what the differences between us and short term rentals. And we had just talked to um, Sarah and Annette from Thanks for, from for, get, for visiting about this on mm-hmm. our show yesterday. About you know they buy properties right, and that's that's one of the things that has been different between vacation rentals we don't own as property managers we don't own our properties and that kept us all afloat that we didn't own them in the pandemic i mean we were very la- asset light type companies so you know the yeah. hotels that could not survive the lease arbitrage models that couldn't survive all of us you know we are we were essentially able to keep going but it's um it's it's just different between the two but
2: it is it is and you have a lot of experienced people in the vacation rental right. space mm-hmm. and in the urban short-term rental space all the teams that rose to "quote unquote" prominence, they were run by young people who hadn't seen a downturn ever in their lives, right. yeah. their professional yeah. lives, and were given yeah. a ton of cash and said go. Yeah. So it, it's it in retrospect. And Alex, you mentioned you only connect the dots in retrospect. In retrospect, yeah. looking back, it's all obvious.
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, all we yeah. we just interviewed Steve Milo recently, and one of the things that he commented, and I'm a I'm a I'm I'm in a hundred percent in this camp, is that. I feel like the investment groups, the people that are putting all this money behind some of this is they're looking at the number of units and they're not looking yeah, at the, the financial count, stability. Yeah. You know, it's it's all about, I need a land grab of a thousand units here and a thousand units mm-hmm. there. And I, I want to get to 50,000 units and, and, you know, maybe it's go public. I don't know, but it's just this, it's this land grab, but it, you can grab land if you're not, able to make it work and make any money if out. It's, of not it, it, yeah. if
1: it's not profitable. It's not
0: profitable. It doesn't yeah. matter how many, cause you can be more profitable with 50 units than you yeah. are with 350 units. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of these, some of the, I, I would be curious to look at some of these, uh, in, these pitch decks that some of these companies are doing to see how they manipulate the numbers. And I'm not going to say that they're lying and being dishonest, but I, I think there's a little bit of a disingenuous, Um, presentation that has to go on for these people from these large investment banks to go, yeah, we're just going to throw money at you and go ahead and go out there and buy 10,000 contracts. Cause again, 10,000 contracts, just because you've modeled it out doesn't mean that 10,000... Economies of continue. scale is a big <laughs> yeah. thing
1: in vacation rentals. You, right. know, you, yeah. you, can, you can utilize that, but it really depends on the product too. I mean, there's so many different variables. When we bought one of our largest, our, our, our largest competitor for all 35 years, we'd been in business at the time, Condolux in 2019. And we were able to keep the exact same amount of staff here that we had before. And that was another 250 condos that we brought on because they were all in the same buildings that we were already in. So from a service standpoint, we, there was not more that we had to do. But if we had bought a company with 250 homes, you know, mm-hmm. now you're really <laughs> standalone. You're, you're really increasing the, the operational um, needs to be able to service multiple different locations. So that's something that I don't, I don't know that all the investors are really thinking about too, because just more doors, does, you really have to factor in the profitability of the operations too and marketing.
2: Yeah, do we have time for me to fight to yeah. respond to? It? Sure, yeah, so, absolutely. Amy, I I have built that deck.
1: I will send you
2: the deck. Oh, and- yeah. <laughs> I
0: like. I, I'm I'm curious. Yeah,
2: but here, but, here, but here's the thing. Like, it, and I I will, I, as much as I I speak to my, na- my naivety of writing lyric, um, it was a fascinating business, and yeah. like the the promise was, and the, the you know we didn't have great performance across the whole portfolio at all. We had um, probably 10% of our portfolio performing exceptionally well. Hmm. And what, what we did and what you kind of do at an early stage is we go to investors and say, look, if we can get 10% of our portfolio performing well, we're taking all the lessons from that 10% and we're going to apply them to both our old properties and every new property we acquire to. Right. So investors look at this. Um, You know, when you fail, it looks like a shiny object. When you succeed, it looks like brilliant insight.
0: Ah. It's all yeah. about how the coin flips, right? So, <laughs>
2: yeah. so, uh, and and investors' job is discerning which is which, and like as an entrepreneur, like you never really want to raise and lose money for people, like that's yeah. not fun. No. It is not yeah. right. Yeah, so it's yeah, like
0: yeah.
2: I, I think most entrepreneurs uh, skew towards towards good, and they're they're trying to change the world in, in a better way that's fun for them, or they think it's an improvement. So like you do find those things and you do believe that like, hey, we actually can learn these lessons. We're a young team. We move fast. We're going to take all these learnings. So like you build a pitch deck based around that. And that's probably what's happening even on a larger level. And honestly, 100 investors say no to you and 10 say yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, when you look at the venture system in particular, venture capital returns expect failure or they're kind of predicated on failure. Yeah. which is strange yeah. to say, but basically what it means is they expect some percentage, probably about 80% of the companies to actually fail. Right. But 70%. But they know
0: one, yeah. will, be, a one will be the uniform. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if right. you
2: discover some magic, yeah. yeah, and if it's repeatable and scalable, you go capture market share and create a ton of value. And that's how they return their portfolio. Yeah. Right? So they have an incentive to invest in teams knowing that some will not succeed. Yeah. That have maybe found yeah. something through. And with with um, probably the reason Vicasa says they're a tech company is because investors value it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's sexy. You're, You're going to invest in, in technology is sexy, and that's where all the money is. Like yeah. investing in hospitality is like you can't feel right. That. Yeah, you know, yeah. You can't see it. Yeah, and
2: you have to invest in things that change the game meaningfully. So yeah. it would be hubris for me to say I'm going to go operate better than Marriott. That would you wouldn't that is an uninvestable entrepreneur. Yeah, an investable entrepreneur is. You know what? I think Marriott's undervalued technology. And there's a new stay pattern that's emerged where people like to stay in these different rooms. So all of this, all of these old hotels that are selling beds and a television with no technology, that is now an anchor on right. their business. Yeah, yeah. And there's a chance now, there's a strange window of time where technology around digital access, revenue management, how you price this stuff, the entire stack has evolved enough where we can come in and build the best stack and we can provide a lower operational cost. We can, we can have lower operating costs and we're gonna deliver a higher quality product and the spread's gonna be larger. We're gonna be able to outcompete Marriott. Hmm. That's a
0: very and that, good,
1: yeah, yeah that's that's a
2: really good point. You can buy you combine brand and technology and say with yeah. Marriott's on those old assets. That is the window that an investor would look through where a team like us could scoot like Lyric could have skirted a massive well-run industry,
1: yeah,
2: on the backs of technology and brand. And that's what we tried to do. So yeah, I gosh. assume Vicasa tries to do the same thing. Yeah. Hey we use technology to lower operating costs and increase, you know. In but it'd
1: be it. one thing if they were saying they were offering their technology to other companies too, you know, and that that's what's going to be interesting to see as Picasa moves forward is, you know, if if something changes in Picasa's trajectory, what do they do with that tech? You know, and we've all seen the, the downsides of, uh, leisure links and everything else over the years that yeah, a yeah. massively funded company just comes to a screeching halt because there's eventually no money left. But, uh, and of course we don't wish that on them, but their technology, you know, none of us have really seen it, but I'm sure it's very good, you know, but I think where the, where the disconnect is, is it's just not as much of a hospitality company, but I'm sure a yeah. lot of the tech that they've built is, is excellent. I mean, with as much, Money as they put into it, and, and you know, they've got top ne- top notch technologists behind it, but um, they're the investors are looking at it differently for sure.
2: Yeah, well, I just I, I don't agree with Steve 100%. I think Steve is uh, Steve runs a great business at B Trips, no doubt about it, but Vikasa could make it definitely. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I still think they're um, I think they're an interesting company. I, I know it's, it's not easy, I, I think. I think Alex, you kind of said it right earlier in my opinion, which was building a technology company and an operating company at the same time is incredibly difficult.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's not because it's not only because each problem is really, really hard. If you are building technology at a Casa, you build for your guests, you build for um, your operating team, you build for your revenue management team, you build for every team, your, your customer service team, mm-hmm. you might build for property manager or property owners. Like you have to build technology for so many different folks. So you spread your resources and guess who gets the money when someone says, Hey, um, you know, our cleaning scores have, have dipped. Do you think it's easy to say like, oh, well, we're going to, we don't care. We're not going to invest anymore in improving our cleaning. We're going to go invest in this new technology that won't be at market yeah. or won't be available yeah. to us. Unfortunately,
1: there's months. still people that have to do it. And, and really technology can't cover up everything, especially in hospitality.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's enough money to allow you to focus on each individual domain, but it's, I, I, I know the tension that that team, or I I have lived through some of the tension that that team's faced on trying to figure out where resourcing goes and they are better managers than we ever were, but like, it is hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Absolutely. Uh, well, Andrew, um, we say this to every literally everybody, um, we could talk for hours because we could just talk for hours, um, but we're kind of okay. getting close to time and we know we'll have you back and we're super excited to see what you announce next week at Darm. It's going to be amazing. I have no doubt, um, but wanted to throw a question or two at you. You've been gracious yeah. enough to let not, not to choose one for us. So I wanted to know what would you tell Andrew today, what would you tell 21 year old Andrew about maybe what to look out for, what to, you know, what re, the reality of, I guess, you know, 21 year old Andrew would have been in college at Duke, maybe doing things that one studying would do.
2: History. Yeah. Um, there
0: you go. <laughs>
2: um, I, I feel like 23 year old Andrew got an incredible lesson. I was I was a kayak guide at the time, Oh, a biking, a biking kayak guide. Yeah. And I had some guests who had, who stayed with me and I spent a week with them and they had built their own business. And they told 23 year old Andrew to go that he appeared to have an entrepreneurial drive and to go try to build a business. Cause it was the best thing that ever happened to them. And about five months later, I hopped on a bike and biked to San Francisco and never looked back, joined the technology scene and, and learned to build businesses. So I think um. I think for, for some, what would I have told that person? Uh, I would have told them to pursue what you really, really love. And I feel lucky that about 80 to 90% of my days have probably genuinely been in pursuit of that. I know that's an extremely fortunate thing to say. So I don't mean, I don't take that lightly, but I I would say, uh, the people who are happiest that I've seen, regardless of any success within careers or otherwise, are just like people who've done what they love.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So Find something you love. You're probably going to be the best at it if you love it and go for it. Yeah. There's, there's I, so many passionate kind of nice. people
1: yeah. in our industry and, and you're certainly one of them. And, and you can just tell whenever you're talking about wheelhouse and everything you guys have going on, you're just so excited about it. So it's, it's yeah. fun to see. It's fun to now be a part of that journey with you on, on the show. I've got one more question for you. Uh, what does the work that you do say about your life and your journey?
2: Um. Oh, that's an awesome question. Uh, I would hope, I would hope what the work says. So the reason we put transparency as our, as the key word last year was I really believe in giving everyone the opportunity to kind of do what they want, whether it's with their own business or as an entrepreneur. Uh, I think being transparent is a really fair way to live. Um, I have loved the fact that, um, I believe Airbnb slash Vic Vacation rentals slash short term rentals, I think it's the greatest democratizing force um, for our category ever, and, and and very broadly speaking, people now with a phone and a personality can start a business. You can take twenty four photos of a place and, and set up a business. So I believe it's, right. I believe the category we work in is an incredibly democratizing force, it has a p- potential to be. I believe that technology can empower people to do amazing things, um, and I believe that technology should be. Um, as freely available, as transparent and honest as possible, to let people know exactly what they want to do. But I would, I would hope that my work sit, speaks to giving as many people as as many people as possible a chance to build their own business, as and as many people as possible a chance to find success. Um, leading from hopefully a very honest, transparent,
1: authentic position. That's an incredible answer. I love, that. by the yeah. way. Yeah, so, very, and,
0: very good, and
1: pretty good too, because we didn't—you didn't get any prep on what questions we were going to ask. <laughs> yeah, then, so
0: I, good
2: job. <laughs> I wish I had answered it more succinctly. but no, no I, 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 I do. Yeah, I do think. Uh, yeah, I I feel so fortunate to have been stumbled into/slash brought into our category. Yeah, I met so many amazing people, and I do think that the work that you all do and that rent responsibly does and that so many other teams do to advocate for the opportunity
1: yeah.
2: to build these businesses is, is, is really cool. And I can't yeah. wait for more people to experience that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are so excited to see you next week at Darm. And in the meantime, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to contact you?
2: Andrew at use message me on LinkedIn, text me at, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, very easy to reach. Would love to hear from anyone. Let me know I can help if you have any questions about your business.
1: Wonderful. We'll include Same that again. all in our show notes. And in the meantime, if anybody wants to get in touch with Annie and I, you can go to alexandannipodcast.com, catch up on past episodes, leave us a review, send us a note. Love to hear from you. And we will see everybody next week at Darm. We're so excited. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks all. Bye.